in uh, John 17, uh, Jesus was praying, Father, I, I pray that they would all be one, right? Uh, and we get a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven in, in Revelation, and you see everybody, one uh, group of people, every nation, every language, every tribe, all coming together. And when I look out on this crowd, you guys might not have the benefit of it, uh, but when I look out at this crowd and, and I see the diversity that God has, uh, is creating at Renaissance, and sometimes it's awkward, right? Sometimes you don't know what to say to the person that doesn't share your cultural background. But to see what God is doing and, and to hear the stories of how God is growing community, uh, particularly in places where it doesn't belong, that people groups are coming together where they had nothing in common and God brings us together as, as one family is absolutely amazing. And I wanted to give you guys a shout out for that. So give God a round of applause for what he has done so far at Renaissance. But we're in our third week of our series called Obstacle Course, and we are looking at different issues that get in the way of us following Jesus. Uh, if you missed any of the first couple of weeks, you can go online. We have a podcast, um, uh, Renaissance Church NYC, I think it's uh, what it's called, or on our website, renaissancenyc.com. Uh, you can look up the old sermons, and you can catch up on those or something else. Uh, but we're looking at different obstacles that you and I face to following Jesus. And this may be your first week in church. This may be your 90th uh, week in a row in church. Uh, but, I, but I bet there's a, all, all of us share a couple of different things that get in our way of following Jesus. And today we're looking at a, a big one, and one that I, that I think all of us are going to resonate with, and it's this, doubt. Doubt. Now, I've been a Christian for about 15 years, and I've been in ministry, I've been a pastor for the last couple of years, and I would be lying straight through my teeth if I told you that uh, I, didn't go, I wouldn't go a week or sometimes a day without, without doubting. See, the word faith is described or defined as uh, complete confidence and trust in something, or complete confidence or trust in someone, and man, it's difficult to have complete uh, trust and confidence in God. See, I, I left my job a couple years ago to, to plant this church, and there were plenty of days, plenty of days when I would wake up in the middle of the night and think to myself, like, yo, I am absolutely bugging, right? Like, how do I know that it was God calling me to really leave my job and do all this other stuff? Like, how do I know that wasn't the spicy salsa I got at Chipotle, right? <laughs> like, how do you distinguish between Jesus and indigestion? And that's a very real thing. And I, and I realize it's a, it's a lot finer line than, than you might want to admit. <laughs> and I realized that, man, I, I really do struggle with doubt. So many days where the last thing I had was complete confidence and trust that God was actively uh, working in my life to do the things that he called me to do. And I realize that might not fill you with the greatest deal of confidence, like, yo, this dude's a pastor and he, he's doubting. It's like Papa John's, like, yeah, I doubt whether or not pizza is really a good choice for the, for the, for the playoffs. Or Pharrell doubting whether or not you should be happy, right? <laughs> like, that wouldn't fill you with a, with a lot of... Uh, confidence. But uh, there's been a hundred times in my life, probably a thousand times in my life, where I've prayed or I should have prayed the prayer that we just heard from this man in the scripture, Lord, I believe, but yo, help my unbelief. God, like I, I, I'm trying. I, I truly do want to believe. I truly do want to trust. I truly do want to have confidence in, in you. But yo, you got to help my unbelief because there's holes in my life. There are things that I want to believe that I'm really having a difficult time believing. 
So what's going on in this story? We see this man, uh, and Mark doesn't even waste time telling us his name or, or a lot of details about his life. And I think Mark does this because it's not really important who he is or where he came from, but really that uh, I think this guy in a lot of ways represents, represents us. So this guy comes to Jesus, and um, uh, in the text you see that there's this huge crowd going on. And whenever Jesus would hit a town, for the most part, uh, there would be these huge, huge, huge crowds. Uh, if you think that our modern-day uh, culture is obsessed with celebrity, uh, they were just as obsessed back in the day. The only difference was Jesus wasn't Instagram famous, right? He didn't get famous from taking selfies. He didn't leak a tape to get, to get famous. Uh, Jesus was really popular and really big because he was healing people. And in a world with no penicillin, with no uh, doctors to perform glaucoma surgeries, uh, healing was a huge deal. So when the word got out that somebody actually had the power to heal somebody, man, mobs and mobs and mobs of people would come. It's funny because a lot of times you'll read a, a text where Jesus is approaching somebody and he'll heal somebody and he'll say, yo, don't tell anybody what I just did. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And they walk away and they tell everybody what he just did. <laughs> and then crowds would just uh, run like crazy to Jesus. And this is what we see here in this text, that there's a huge crowd uh, to coming around, and they're all circling around the, the, the neighborhood. And so you see Jesus' disciples kind of arguing with some people in the corner, and they're all wrestling, and Jesus comes like, yo, what's going on? What's happening? And they realize that, yo, there's a guy who brought uh, his son to your disciples, and they couldn't heal him. So finally, this guy is excited because now he has another option, but guess what? This is his, probably his last chance. And he brings his son to Jesus, and his son is having seizures, and this had to be one of the most terrifying uh, illnesses to have, uh, especially, you know, before the advent of, of you know, neurologists and, and science to understand really what's going on in this, in this kid's life. Uh, when I was four, when I was living in Yonkers with my parents, I had a seizure. And to say that my parents absolutely lost their minds would be an understatement. This man had to be feeling like my parents were. He had to be feeling like, yo, at any given moment, my son is going to die right in front of my face, and there's nothing I could do about it. Now, he was terrified, and he comes to Jesus, and he's saying, Jesus, yo, please, if there's anything you can do, help my son. And Jesus re replies and says, yo, all things are possible to him that believes. And then this man replies with the one-liner, one of the best one-liners you'll ever see in Scripture. He says, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. It's a paradox for sure. It's a contradiction in terms, right? We like to have everything in very nice and neat categories. It's either a blue state or it's a red state. It's either belief or it's unbelief. You're either a Christian or you're not. And here this man has the nerve to claim that he believes and has disbelief at the same time. Now, I actually think that doubt is actually a good thing, a little bit of doubt. Uh, in his uh, book, The Reason for God, Tim Keller says that a faith without some doubts is like a human body without any bacteria in it. People who blindly go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless either against the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Now, it sounds kind of gross, but right now, in every one of your stomachs, there's a whole lot of bacteria. Now, some of these bacteria are good, and some of them are bad. Now, some of these bacteria, uh, our, our faith in a lot of ways is like that. 
And some of these bacteria help our bodies to absorb nutrients, and it's actually uh, vital to your survival and absorbing certain nutrients to have a number of bacteria in it. Now, too much bacteria, that's a bad thing. It leads to infection. Uh, it leads to a lot of different diseases and illnesses. But having none at all means that your body is susceptible to, uh, to other illnesses. Now, I, I think that our faith is like that in some ways. That I, I think if we were being honest, nobody in here would even pretend that you have complete confidence and trust in God. And I think that's actually a good thing for two quick reasons. One, I think that doubt uh, keeps us dependent. I think that when we see that we actually have doubt, it keeps us dependent and it keeps us really humble uh, uh, to know that we don't have it all together. So I, I do think that when I'm not on an island. Uh, I know I'm not actually. Uh, last week at my community group, we had a great discussion about doubts and uh, different struggles that people were having uh, to, to really just trust God and to really have that complete confidence and trust in God. And I think one of the, the most interesting, interesting things about doubt is that it really presents itself in different ways. And, and what do I mean by that? See, a lot of us would think, for example, that I have an anxiety problem, right? And the, the truth of the matter is this. You don't have an anxiety problem. You have a faith problem. Uh, you don't have an anxiety problem because anxiety is derivative. Anxiety is based on something. Anxiety only comes up uh, out of a belief that you're in trouble. And the reason that a lot of us have anxiety about what's going on in our lives, if somebody gets sick, if there's a, a health issue or a job issue or money issue, we get anxious because deep down inside, we doubt whether or not we're going to be okay. Deep down inside, we doubt whether or not we're going to make it. Deep down inside, we don't have, we don't have faith. Deep down inside, we're saying that to ourselves, I believe, but yeah, I kind of need help with my unbelief. One of my friends is a pastor, and he always tells a story about uh, his daughter, and they bought one of these super fancy baby strollers. Hopefully, we're going to get one. We're going to put on the registry, at least, to, to get one of these. <laughs> so uh, this baby stroller that you can either face the baby facing you, or you could turn it around, and the baby can face outside. So it's like one baby stroller. It has shocks, rims, a, a system. <laughs> it has everything you can think of. And for the first couple of months, uh, every time he would put his daughter in the, in the stroller, uh, it, she would be facing him, and she would be looking right at him, and she would look to the side, and then every now and then she would just zone back to him to make sure that he was still there. But eventually, the doctor says, you know what, you're going to have to turn her around. And by turning her around, uh, that's actually going to uh, help her sensory adaptation. She's going to be able to learn uh, about the outside world in ways that she would not learn unless if, if she were facing you. So he would turn uh, the carriage around so she was facing the outside, and every 20 steps, she would lose it. Every 20 steps, she would get anxious again, because deep down inside, in her little one-year-old brain, she didn't believe that her father was still there. So my friend had to run up to the front and assure her every single time, I'm still here, I haven't gone anywhere, stop freaking out. Now, anxiety is like that, right? Deep down inside, we're not just anxious just for being anxious. We're anxious because deep down inside, we don't believe that God is still there. We don't believe that God is still pushing. We don't believe that God is still in control of what's going on, so we become anxious. Or impatience, right? A lot of us think that we're impatient just because we're New Yorkers. And I'm not talking about the impatience of somebody walking slowly down the stairs on the subway, and you hear the doors about to close, and you push an old lady out the way to run down the stairs. I've seen people do that. Um, I might have done that once. But <laughs> I'm not talking about that impatience. I'm talking about the impatience that says, Man, at this point in my life, I should be doing X, Y, and Z. At this point in my life, this should have happened, that should have happened, uh, and you're getting really impatient, and uh, you're, at the end of the day, it's not just that you are an impatient person, 
right? You can't just pray, God, take away the impatience from me, and whop, God is going to zap you with a magic wand, and impatience is going to be gone, and you're going to be a sterling being. It's not that. Deep down inside, you don't really trust that God is in control and that God's timing is better than yours is. We don't trust that God's timing is better than ours, so we're, we're impatient. Or greed. Uh, a lot of us want to be generous. We want to give our money away. We want to um, uh, be the type of people that really spend a lot of our time and our energy investing in others. But we have this, this fear. We have this fear that uh, if we give away, God is not going to take care of us. So we have a hard time believing that God is going to take care of us. So we have a hard time being generous. And one of my personal favorites is shame. A lot of us uh, feel ashamed of things that we've done in our past. And because we feel the this, this shame, uh, uh, we think that it's a problem of what we did. And um, this is not to give a blanket excuse for, for behavior, but a lot of us uh, feel shame because deep down inside, we don't believe that God has the final say. We don't believe that Jesus has gone to the cross and has wiped our slates clean, that every sin has been nailed to the cross, so we continue to beat ourselves up because if I continue to beat myself up, then I'll get better. But deep down inside, we don't actually trust who Jesus says he is, that he did not come to serve but to give his life as a ransom for many. Your debt is paid. You can go free. See, deep down inside, we have all of these belief issues. And lastly, a lot of people are struggling with a certain behavior uh, or a certain sin, and there's issues going on in your life, and you're thinking that, I just need to get this out of my life. And it could be something big like uh, pornography or something like that. And you're thinking, I just need to get this out of my life. But deep down inside, we don't have behavior issues. We have belief issues. See, deep down inside, we don't believe that God's way of fulfilling us is better than our own. So we do it like, uh, as it says in Jeremiah 2 and 13, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. See, at the root of all of this stuff is belief. And a lot of us need to be leaving here today and praying this right now, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Now, a lot of us in here also might have uh, uh, some deeper doubts, right? Can I trust the Bible? Can I trust in Scripture? Can I trust in Jesus to be who he says he is? Can I actually trust uh, that Jesus was risen from the dead? And we're going to get to a lot of this stuff next week in part two, looking at uh, really specific things on doubt, so you don't want to miss that. Uh, but no matter where you are, whether it's really having some serious, serious doubts about uh, the nature of God and all these different things, or whether or not God is active in your life today, I think we all deal with doubt. So what should we do with our doubts? What should, we, what should we actively do with our doubts? I think we should do three things. Number one, admit our doubts. Number two, turn our doubts to Jesus. And number three, work through our doubts in community. Admit our doubts, turn our doubts to Jesus, and work through our doubts in community. Now, here's the interesting thing about following Jesus. It requires faith. And contrary to popular belief, true, real faith isn't uh, uh, having 100% certainty of everything that's going on in your life. That's not, that's not true faith. True, real faith is uh, persisting and following Jesus in spite of your doubt and uncertainties. That true, real faith is pursuing Jesus in spite of your doubts and uncertainties. According to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. That we walk by not by what we see, but we walk by what we don't see. And it's difficult for a lot of us, myself included. Now, in the entirety of the Christian faith, 
uh, whether it's, you know, we trust in a God that we haven't seen. We trust in a Jesus that we haven't seen. We're trusting in a Holy Spirit that we haven't seen. We're trusting in all of these things. And at the core of everything that we're believing, uh, we have to have faith. And that's why I think that Jesus was, uh, Jesus dealt with the man in, in the way that he dealt with him. Right? So this man uh, in the text in, in Mark, he comes to Jesus for healing of his son. And Jesus flips the script on him and directs his attention to the one thing that he really needs. See, God is, is ultimately concerned, not with the day-to-day operations of our life, but in our faith in him, right? So this man comes to Jesus, and Jesus could have easily said, oh, yeah, great, bring me your son. Yo, bro, go to Starbucks, come back in 15 minutes, we'll have him all shined up. He'll be, he'll be good as new. But he didn't. Jesus made this man confront his, his disbelief, his fears, all of the things about uh, his life that um, were, were going on. And Jesus did this because ultimately what God wants to work in our lives is our faith. There's this little phrase that is said over and over and over in the New Testament and the Old Testament. It's this little line that says, and the righteous shall live by faith, and the just shall live by faith. And it says this over and over and over again, that if you and I, what, what God would want to do in your life is to develop your faith. God would want to develop our faith. Now, if the righteous will live by faith, that means that God, what, what he wants to do isn't necessarily to provide, to answer every single prayer, and every single time you pray for something, it magically appears like Google Express, right? Google Express, by the way, is fantastic. Free same-day shipping in Manhattan. I'm not getting paid by them to, to represent them either, but free shipping, you should check it out. But God doesn't uh, work, work in that way. God doesn't just zap uh, and do everything we want. And I think for a reason God doesn't do that, because God ultimately wants to work on our faith. And if our lives were never uh, challenged, if we were consistently like the girl in the stroller looking at the Father, and we never got turned around to look at the outside world, we would never develop as people. Number two, turn our doubts to Jesus. Now, in this story, we see something uh, pretty amazing that I don't want us to miss. Now, this man in this in the story doesn't say, man, I have faith problems. Jesus, I'll be back like in a couple of days. I'm going to work on myself, and then when I have the better faith, I'll come back, and hopefully then you'll, you'll receive me. This man turns his, his disbelief, his doubt, straight to Jesus, and Jesus accepts him, right? And, and I think at the very most, at the, at the, at the very least, uh, we need to get from this text that we don't have to have this perfect, flawless, uh, 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 perfect faith that we never doubt or God will uh, smite us or send us away, but the contrary, that God accepts us and he welcomes us in with all of our uh, unbelief. And God never expects perfect faith uh, because that would be pointless, right? If God expected us and our faith to be perfect, then, man, none of us in here would be anything. We could never um, have faith. We could never have a real relationship with God. But God doesn't expect that uh, because ultimately uh, the thing that is way more important than the strength of your faith is the object of your faith. Right? So way more important than the strength of your faith is what you're actually putting your faith in. So uh, let me say it like this. Imagine there's two people, uh, two men walking out onto the ice in, on different lakes. And the first man is super brave, and he's bold, and he's like Rambo, and he uh, has all the faith in the world, and he walks out onto a lake of ice, and the ice is only about a half an inch thick. Now, if he does that, no matter how strong his faith is, he's going to fall and he's going to drown. Because it's not the strength of your faith that matters, it's what you're putting your faith into that matters. But imagine there's a second man, and he's timid, and he's fearful, 
and he uh, barely has enough faith to do anything, but, and he steps out on the ice, and that ice is two feet thick. Now, no matter how shallow, no matter how weak his faith is, he'll stand and he won't drown because it's not the strength of your faith, it's the object of your faith that matters. And we need to know that because we don't need to have uh, this amazing, uh, perfect faith. We can just take whatever little we have and we can take it to Jesus and he accepts us right there. There's a, a story in scripture that gets me every single time uh, I, I read it. Um, and it's the only miracle besides the resurrection of Jesus that you'll see in all four uh, gospel accounts. So you see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all writers of the gospels. Um, they wrote uh, uh, different accounts of Jesus' life. And Every one of them includes this one little story. And if you're reading through the New Testament pretty fast, you won't even, I bet you you wouldn't have stopped uh, to notice it. And it's when Jesus feeds 5,000. So, right, it's two, you know, you guys may have heard uh, pieces of the story. There's a huge crowd, and uh, there's disciples uh, coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, uh, there's a lot of people that need food. So we need to send them home. They need to shake out so they can go home so they don't crash on their way, on their way back. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. We're not going to send them home. You feed them. And they're like, oh, okay, well, all right. Jesus says we're going to feed them. So, yeah, what do we have? Great. So Jesus asks them what they have, and then they say, we have five pieces of, of bread and two pieces of fish. And we have 5,000 people, right? Two pieces of fish and five pieces of bread five, for 5,000 people. If you were to go to the, the fish spot on two-fifths, they'd give you more than two pieces for one person. Right? So here in this text, we know that they weren't trying to feed uh, a lot of black people because you ain't going to give me no <laughs> two pieces of fish per 5,000. That ain't going to work. So it's, I could especially see how the disciples were so, so anxious and so nervous, like, yo, Jesus, we can't do this. And, and then Jesus hits them with this right here, which, man, every single time I read it, it messes me up. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of 50 each. And the disciples did so, and everyone sat down. So here's this. They know there's not enough food. Like, Jesus, I'm, I'm positive there's not enough. I am sure that uh, if you want us to go and have everybody sit down and tell people food is coming, dude, if you don't come through, I'm going to look like an idiot. Now, this is the way Jesus deals with his disciples. Imagine if you were that person, and you're like, I've seen this, and I know we don't have enough. And, and you go out and start telling everybody, hey, everybody, sit down, food is coming. And you know deep down inside that ultimately if Jesus does not come through, you're going to be a laughingstock. You're going to be an idiot. And this is the way Jesus treats his disciples. This is the way Jesus treats the people that follow him. He calls us to have confidence and trust in him and take that next step, even if uh, we don't know how it's going to happen. Now, for a lot of us, uh, we can be here till, till midnight talking about what that next step in your faith uh, could look like, but we're not going to stay that long because I have to go home and watch Tom Brady and the Patriots lose today, right? Let's pray for that right now, Father. <laughs> but for the disciples, the next step was being kind of obedient and, and, and taking that step and telling people to sit down even though they didn't know what was going on. Man, for a lot of us, it could just mean being honest in your taxes, that, listen, I don't know, you know, if I say this, if I say I gave this much away this year, I'll get this tax refund. You'll get this refund or that refund. And a lot of us, you know, we don't, uh, uh, it might not make sense to your coworkers. It might not make sense to even you. 
But like, yo, I'm just going to put my faith and trust in Jesus that whatever money I need to have, I'll have. And I'll be honest on my taxes. I won't lie. I won't blow up how much I made or try to hide things uh, beneath the cracks. It might mean uh, just starting a prayer life again, right? It might mean your next step is just saying, God, man, I haven't prayed in two months, three months, a year, 10 years. I believe, but yo, help my unbelief. Turning our doubts to Jesus means taking that next step of faith, regardless if we can see that next step, regardless if we can uh, uh, map out the the five-year plan. It means just following Jesus, regardless of how great we're feeling about it. And ultimately, since it's the the object of our faith and not the strength of our faith that matters, listen, all we got to do is take that next step. It doesn't matter how timid your faith is, just take that next step. If you're following Jesus in that direction, and we won't be, uh, we won't be embarrassed by that. But a lot of people uh, ha- have doubted Jesus, right? So uh, even Jesus' earliest disciples, right, the, the, the men and the women that walked with Jesus, they doubted. So then uh, that kind of leads me to think, like, if these people doubted and they, and they walked with you and they talked with you and they saw you do all these miracles, man, what chance do I have? And I think the third thing we do, the third answer we get is to, uh, turn our, uh, to work out our doubts in community. Number three, we work, our, uh, we work out our, our doubts in community. In John 20, uh, we see this uh, kind of famous passage in Scripture, uh, and you see the, all of the disciples in kind of one room together. And there's this guy named Thomas. He's an apostle of Jesus. He's one of Jesus' hand-picked followers uh, to follow him. And he makes, this, he makes this statement. He says, I am not going to believe unless I see Jesus and put my fingers his hands. Like, you can, you can believe that Jesus resurrected, but I'm not. And I'm not going to believe unless he does that, unless I can see him, unless I can put my hand, my finger through his hand. And I think um, what, how, what Thomas doubted wasn't nearly as important as where Thomas doubted. See, Thomas had his doubts, but he doubted in community. He doubted uh, around other disciples, other men and women that were trying to follow Jesus. A lot of people I know, right, they'll read a random article on Facebook, and they're like, aha, Jesus Christ was married to Rosie Perez. That proves it, right? And people say, oh, there are all these crazy things, and some stuff has uh, zero credibility. But we doubt on the island, and and we wonder why it's hard to have faith, uh, because we're not having conversations with people that can can really help us, right? So for a lot of us, uh, even if you're kind of new to church and you don't know what's going on, um, your first step, your next step, and, and you doubting Jesus in community could just simply mean adding a couple voices uh, to your conversations that you're having about God, right? It could be reading a couple different articles by different people. It could be adding uh, other authors uh, to your reading list. Um, one thing that we have at the Connection Desk is, is a book called The Reason uh, for God by one of my favorite authors, uh, Tim Keller. Now, if you have some doubts, if you have some, some serious questions, and Lord knows we're not going to get into all of the details and the questions today, um, but man, we would love, 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 love to give you this um, for free. Are you gonna, Jessica will be at the info desk after. And you know, the only rule is after you read it, you got to pass it on to somebody else for them to read it as well. But that could mean, you know, this could be your first step in engaging in Christian community this way, right? From the comfort of your own home, uh, wrestling with the reason for God, wrestling with some hard truths about who God is. Now, it could also mean uh, you getting more plugged into uh, a community group. Uh, or, you know, calling your third cousin who you know is a Christian to ask him questions about his faith, but it certainly means not doubting by yourself. And, and here's why this is really important. So I grew up uh, across the street from a lake, 
And um, that definitely throws away my thug card, because if you grow, like you can't have a thug card, you can't be a G and grow up across the street from a lake, right? So I'm, I'm certainly not that. Um, but uh, every winter, especially when it, it would get really, really cold, uh, people would ice skate. And I didn't really ice skate, because brothers don't ice skate like that. But um, every year, every time I would see people on the ice, I would always say, like, man, like, how cool would that be to at least walk and, you know, uh, just walk out on the ice and test it because it's pretty cool watching it form. But for years and years, I would see kind of people out there, and I was like, ah, uh, I don't know if I'm going to go out there. Um, I'm not the greatest swimmer in the world, so if I fall, it might not be a good situation. But one year, uh, I remember walking past, and there was this huge orange garbage truck that they drove on the ice. And when I saw that garbage truck on the ice, I knew immediately, even though I didn't have the faith for myself that the ice was strong enough, I knew if that ice can hold up that garbage truck, surely it can hold me up. Now, a lot of us don't have enough personal belief to really trust God and to really have that complete confidence in who God is and, and all these different things. But for, by plugging into community, you might just see that orange garbage truck that is uh, on the ice and is holding people up. And you might be able to borrow strength from other people, borrow faith from other people, just because you'll see how strong God really is to hold people through, through challenges and frustrations and all these different things. And that could be a huge, huge, huge blessing uh, to your life. So admit your doubts, turn your doubts to Jesus, and process your doubts in community. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, I'm, I'm grateful for just people that, that risked coming out on the ice today to, to spend some time with us as a family. Uh, God, I, I, I pray that as we uh, go through the rest of our, our days and our weeks, God, that we'd be honest about where we are in life and where we are with you. And God, we wouldn't try to hide our doubts and we wouldn't think that it was uh, something that wasn't honorable, but we would bring our doubts over to you. God, and in you, we would find redemption. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>